Jodie was uh, amongst the many. They talk about uh, 200 people getting together back in 2017 at uh, Uluru to talk about uh, how living conditions can be improved uh, for Aboriginal people across the country. It was great to uh, utilise the uh, various think tanks uh, that we have positioned around uh, the country and uh, Jodie was one of uh, those selected. Welcome, Jodie. Uh, thank you, Sandy, and good morning to you and good morning to our listeners. Yeah. 2017, what did you expect then? Um, yeah, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. We, I'd obviously been involved in the Kimberley Pilbara Dialogue here. I was a co-facilitator um, with Nolan Hunter, who was CEO of the Kimberley Land Council at the time. Um, and so, obviously, from that, the roundtable that we'd had here and the dialogue here, um, we were talking about sort of constitutional recognition for First Nations people as well as, you know, numerous other sort of um, recognitions and the way forward to improve not just, um, like you said, sort of the living conditions of Aboriginal people but also basically every condition for Aboriginal people, whether it's economic, social, cultural, um, how we're seen in the Australian landscape and all those sort of things. And so all those sort of points were touched upon at the dialogue, um, and then we were one of thirteen that was around the country. And so then the coming together at Uluru at the end of that process was about okay, each region coming feeding into then having a national position on um, where we thought we needed to go as First Nations people in this country to be recognised in the country and to help us help ourselves and. Um, <laughs> help bring about the solutions to the various issues that are facing First Nations people. Did you expect this meeting to be taken seriously? Um, we we definitely hoped it would be because obviously the government had invested a lot of money into the dialogue process in the first place. And, you know, the governments, and this is both governments, so both sides of government um, in various times when they had been in power had been talking about recognition of First Nations people. So there's obviously um, the feeling out there, no matter what side of parliament you sit on, that First Nations recognition is not how it should be. So um, it started back, you know, uh, Bob Hawke, when he was Prime Minister, promised a treaty process. Paul Keating tried to implement a treaty process. John Howard, even back to Malcolm Fraser, they all talked about recognition of First Nations people in Australia in various ways and shapes and forms. And so it's not like it's not agreed by everybody that that has to happen. So it's about how that happens, um, which, of course, is what the referendum's about this weekend. But I think going into um, the Uluru Dialogue, we were hoping that obviously there's a lot of resources put into getting us that far. So we thought, okay, the government's ready to actually take it seriously. And by having the dialogues and that process, they're saying they want to hear from the grassroots right up through to the upper echelons of sort of, I suppose, the First Nations power structure, for want of a better word. Um, but they're wanting to hear from everybody and hear what they have to say. So there was a real hope that the government would take that seriously. Um, but I suppose in saying that, when we were at Uluru, there was obviously a lot of mistrust of the government and the mistrust of the government 
wanting to take it seriously. And so that's why at the end you'll actually see when the Uluru statement got presented um, to the public and to the press, it actually wasn't a statement to the government. It was a state. It was a statement made to the Australian people and asking the Australian people to walk alongside First Nations people on this journey for us. So there was that mistrust that maybe something could still happen because it's always happened in the past where the government flips things on us. And so we were very, very clear that this wasn't just a statement asking the government to do something. It was actually a statement asking the whole Australian nation, every man, woman and child in this country to walk alongside us um, on this journey of recognition and how to make life better for our mob. And and talk about uh, just flipping something over... You talk about past prime ministers trying to create treaties or resolve a problem. Uh, Peter Dutton would also would like to revisit uh, this referendum if it isn't uh, successful. So what's the problem? I know. I mean, and that's what makes absolutely no sense about what's happening out there at the moment around the referendum this weekend because the the... Many the, the Liberal government who kind of spearheaded, I suppose, and started the no campaign for want of a better way of putting it. So before the referendum got called, they were indicating they were going to give bipartisan support to the referendum and say yes. Then they decided to say no for whatever their reasons were. Um, but now when you actually talk to... And, and, you know, Dutton and other senior Liberals are getting on stage to talk about <coughs> why they're not in support of it. But then when they're asked the question, well, what would you do different? What do you want to do instead? They're coming up with virtually the same answer. They're saying, we will have an Aboriginal advisory body. Well, that is what the voice is. That is what the voice is about. So why are we having this huge dividing argument in Australian society at the moment? And, you know, and it's getting really divisive between people, between families, between groups of people. And, you know, why are we doing that? If everyone is at the end of the day still saying we want to have some sort of advisory group and we want to recognise First Nations people in the Constitution. That is all the question is on the referendum. It's not something bigger. It is very, very simple. (laughs) And you talk about there was a lot of mistrust for politicians whilst you were all together there. What about countrymen? Why did walkouts happen? Um, I mean, you know... We're not one mob. We, I mean, we're all First Nations people, but we're all different clans and groups and language groups and tribes, and we all have our own perspective and we all have our own different lived experience, you know. Um, you know, people in the Kimberley have a lot closer um, memories of colonisation, say, than the East Coast. There was like nearly 200, you know, 150-odd years between colonisation on the East Coast to colonisation now. So our, our, our mob across the land have different um, ideas of where they want to go forward. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you do not expect any other society to all think the one way. That's what democracy is about. That's why we have democracy. That's why we have elections. It's why we have everything in that you have a vote and people are allowed to have different opinions. So, and I mean, that was some of the... Um, you know, the, the walkouts at Uluru that was around that because there are people who don't agree with what the statement, um, the Uluru statement says. There are people who don't agree that the referendum question goes far enough. Um, there are, they, they feel there's other ways that this could happen. And so, I mean, that's what the walkouts were about, basically. Um, but the reality is there was over 250 delegates sitting in that room from across Australia, across the Torres Strait Islands, in that room at Uluru 
of those 250 odd delegates, I think there were seven walkouts. So that actually says that 97% of the people that were in that room representing 13 large regional areas across the state, across the country, were saying, we want, we support the Uluru Statement from the heart. So that's pretty good statistics when you're trying to talk statistics, when you talk about governments who get into government on less than 1% of a margin. So that's a pretty good margin. It is. It's a very good margin, especially with bringing uh, uh, folks together. And uh, you, you mentioned there's just more to life and than living conditions for Aboriginal people that that need to be fixed. I mean, uh, land, uh, there's just uh, so many problems with closing the, the gap. And it all goes back to uh, uh, peak organisations. Um, it does. And I mean, I think, and that's why we're saying the voice has to happen. Because at the moment, even though you have peak organisations and they have dialogues with government, everything's still at the whim of the government. So a peak organisation can say, this is what we think has to happen. But it's still up to the government to say, yes, we agree with that and we're going to implement that. Okay. Um, and I think still, and I mean, even for ourselves, I mean, I've been CEO of a couple of community-based organisations across the Kimberley now, and we are forever, forever trying to negotiate with the government and funding bodies to fit what we see as the solutions to our problems and what we're being told by our members and our community is this is what we want to do. This is how we can fix our problems. But no one wants to fund that like that. We've got to then go and try and squeeze that problem, squeeze our solution, sorry, and, you know, shape that solution to fit some government program that's been run from a bureaucrat in Canberra who's possibly never even met an Indigenous person, definitely probably hasn't met any Kimberley Indigenous person. And so how do they know that what, why is their saying better than us, what we're saying, you know what I mean? Looking back, how, how do you feel being a part of all of this process? Um, very proud. I'm very proud that I was part of that process. Um, you know, I, I know that I can stand up and say to my kids, to my grandkids that, you know, um, I tried my hardest to make move the ball forward for you guys, for your future. Um, you know, I was proud even... I'm not, you know, born a Kimberley person, but I was selected from the Kimberley mob to represent them as part of the delegation that represented them. So, I mean, that made me really proud um, that they trusted me to do that on their behalf. And, you know, um, I think just being able to sit there and say and, and feel that feeling that was coming from so many of the mobs that were there who wanted to support this, you know, they all... So many people were saying there is a problem, we're not being recognised right and this could be the start of the solution to make things better for us, you know. I'm 53 now and I don't want my kids being coming to being 53 and saying nothing's changed from when mum was a kid, you know. And at the moment that's how we're going. I don't know that much has changed from when my dad was my age, you know what I mean? Apart from also actually I take that back. He was, he was, he would have been 50, oh no, when he was 53, yep, nothing's much changed from when he was 53. <laughs> so yeah. Well, a lot has changed since you've entered the landscape, along with uh, uh, another two hundred and forty-nine uh, people. Hopefully, it'll show itself for what it is this coming Saturday. Um, yeah, I definitely hope so, and I'll definitely say to any of our listeners out there that if you're still deciding, um, that's okay. That's what referendums about, you know. But don't say no because you don't know. If you don't know, if you don't know the information, um, 
go and find the information out. It is very, very easy in this day and age with the internet and everything else to find the information. And the government, to its benefit, and the um, Australian Electoral Commission has put out a lot of information just around what the question means, what the what the implications of the questions will be if there's a yes vote, if there's a no vote. And so there's a lot of sort of non-bias, for want of a better word, information out there that people can access very easily to get, to tell them what it's all about. So there's no excuse for not knowing about what the referendum is about. And so please, please, please do not vote no just because you do not know. And it's all about walking with other Australians. Uh, That's right, exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, we are the First Nations people of this country. That can never be taken away from us. That cannot be changed. It cannot be written out of history. And so why don't we as a country embrace that and use that to our advantage and show the world that we are proud of the fact that we have the oldest living culture in the world on our land? Very proud woman you are, Jodie Bell. Thank you for coming in and going back uh, with those thoughts uh, to 2017 at Uluru. No worries. Thank you, Sandy, and thank you, listeners. And don't forget, go and put your vote. Make it count. It's all about walking together. Jodie Bell, the CEO of Golari Media, also the producer of Ramu Production and... Yeah, shall I add Cinefestos uh, to the title too because she's been doing a fair bit in that space for the Kimberley.